Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I'm your host, Coach Jason Coop, and this podcast is all about footwear innovation in the trail and ultra running space. On the podcast today, I have Sebastian Pavler and Marlene Giadinoli of the Solomon Sports Science Laboratory out of Annecy, France. We discuss how research done in the lab actually lands on your feet and how you benefit from some of the research being done out of Solomon's lab. I've always appreciated how Seb, Marlene, and other scientists like them take a solutions-oriented approach to research, and it shows up in Solomon's wide range of products, which are some of the most heralded in the marketplace today. As with all of my podcasts, there are no financial conflicts of interest between me or Solomon. I just appreciate what they do. So I hope you enjoy this one as we peel back the curtain on how your shoes come to be. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Sebastian and Marlene over at Solomon. Right on the onset mentioned that things were weird. And we have that experience here too. I mean, we have a physiology lab at our home office in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we've been going back and forth between, do we open it up for physiological testing? And we just do, you know, standard graded exercise tests and things like that. It's not, it's not a biomechanics lab. Um, it's, it's very much more of a, what I would call kind of a performance laboratory an endurance performance laboratory, but we've gone back and forth between do we open it up? Do we do it with these restrictions? Is it worth opening back up and things and things like that? So is your lab actually open now? Are you like bringing athletes in for testing and things like that? What is this? What is the state of it? So we are still we are still open and we still have the opportunity to run some some testing uh, while respecting all the um, how can I say that? The, restrictions the and restriction the, rules and so on yeah so but it, it's it's pretty rare we try to do only the um, the, the tests that are um how can i say that that are really useful for for projects and uh, and yeah so we try to minimize basically our activity uh, in the lab and only do what is absolutely necessary for a, for a development project. So we do some some biomechanical testing and some sensory analysis and so on. But uh, yeah. So explain to me the setup because um, a lot of the listeners, once again, we have a pretty we have a lay audience. They know running, they know testing and things like that. But try to like like describe visually what the lab is like how big is it what kind of equipment do you have what athletes are coming into the lab and things like that just so we can start to paint this picture since this is going to be a big part of the whole conversation i can start with this one so we have this kind of big room you know it's around 150 square meter so it's kind of big um and it's equipped with um let's say two types two types of um, measurement device some of them are fixed in the lab. So we have three force platforms. We have also eight cameras around them. The cameras are not that fixed because we could dismount them and take them outside to do some measurements. But basically, you know, the, the lab is set up with, the, with those eight cameras. And so it's pretty convenient to, to let them in place. And so this is the basic setup. You know, we, we can have people and athletes come into the lab, just run or walk through this kind of, uh, of pathway, you know, where the force platforms are, and we can do this kind of conventional analysis where we can measure forces and the 3D movement as well, and then calculate some metrics based on those measurements. And the other devices that we have are some portable ones that, uh, that we're able to take outside the lab, so pressure insoles, uh, inertial units, accelerometers, uh, so we have EMG sensors that are kind of, uh, you know, they are more, mostly used in the lab, but we can can take them outside. And so the idea is to be able to have this kind of standardized setup in the lab, but also be able to get some of the devices outside to have some real world measurement, especially in trail running, for example. It's difficult to replicate trail running in, in a lab setup. So that's why we have um, 
those two types of device. Then if you want to add yeah, something. Yeah, we, we really strive, since we are working on outdoor activities, we really strive to have uh, devices that we can bring outside the lab. It's very important for us, and especially in training, as Seb just mentioned. And uh, yeah, just to add something, uh, we also recently received a um, gas analyzer. So we try also to do more um, physiological measurements to have a direct measurement evaluation of performance. And we also have a nice uh, outside track just uh, going from inside the lab to outside the lab to, to analyze, um, to do some routine tests about cushioning, about ride, really to have um, um, a standardized track to do our uh, less original measurements, let's yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, whole setup of the, the whole setup of the lab is it part of Aimer Sports, like all of the different, like the whole portfolio of companies that are underneath Aimer Sports, do they have access to the lab at various points or is it just Solomon? So I'd say it's it's just Solomon and officially it would be just footwear, actually, mm-hmm. because all the devices and the, and the place was set up by the, by the footwear department and financed as well by the footwear department. So that doesn't mean that we do not share our toys, you know, with the other departments. <laughs> so if the if the winter sports uh, department needs to do some tests, it's, it's more than possible, you know. But officially, it's a footwear-dedicated lab. And... Uh, and as far as AIM Sports is concerned, so what, what you need to know is that for footwear, um, the Salomon headquarters here in Annecy is identified as a, let's say, competitivity uh, a pole you know, for footwear development. So meaning that we're not only working on Salomon shoes, but also Wilson, uh, you know, tennis shoes, and Arcteryx for hiking uh, mountaineering shoes. So meaning uh, this footwear lab could be intended for testing tennis shoes or Arctic shoes. And actually I worked for Wilson for my, I don't know, uh, the, the three first years of my career were dedicated to, uh, to work in Wilson shoes. And uh, as far as the other, you know, brands of the Aimer group are concerned, some of them have some facilities in their headquarters to do some sports science as well. But uh, for us, it's basically around that. And something also I think that it's te- in, that is interesting also to have in mind is that when we arrived uh, with Seb in Salomon, it was uh, eight, years eight years ago. Eight years ago, yeah, the lab was a kind of a forty meter squares kind of cave <laughs> in the basement <laughs> with no windows, with just one very old treadmill that we still have actually, and just plant our pressure insoles and something like this, and so and now. And how, yeah, and herd builds. And now we have this, uh, so it's not the Nike lab, but we have a, a pretty nice lab with very sophisticated devices and so on. And uh, the team is also uh, is also growing up. And so it, I, I think that this allows really that over the past few years, Amur Sports uh, put a lot of um, investment on the sports sciences, basically. Well, especially for running footwear. And, and this is kind of what I wanted to get at is a, it didn't start out that way. Just like anything else. It's not like it appeared magically out of the ground or anything like that. Yeah. This has been an <laughs> ongoing project and I'm glad I heard you two describe it because I've asked athletes that have been there and they haven't been able to quite like paint the pictures as, as well as you have, because you guys have a more intimate sports science knowledge of it, but you have a lab that is on par or better than a lot of the major universities here in the United States, both in terms of like the sheer, the quality of the equipment that you have, but also the sheer range of things that you can do that you pointed out. I mean, you've got biomechanic stuff, you've got things that you can measure EMG. So we're looking at the muscles, you've got metabolic capabilities. You can go indoors, outdoors to kind of rep to, to kind of, uh, try to get a better representation of what's actually going on in the field, which I think is lost in a lot of sports science since we try to kind of control those things in the lab. And I've always been rather impressed with that array, even when I've heard it described from an athlete. So 
you guys have all these really cool toys, right? And at the end yeah. of the day, at the end of the day, the information that you glean from all of these toys goes into footwear. How Absolutely. does that how does that process actually happen because you have a huge you have a huge line of footwear, mainly trail running, but I think that you have done a good job of having kind of like specialty shoes. You've got a shoe for mud. You've got a shoe for, you know, high traction situations. You've got a shoe that drains really well. You've got a shoe that's kind of more of an all-purpose shoe, a road to trail shoes and thing like that. How, how, how do you guys take this research and actually put it into a product? So it, it basically, well, what I, what I used to say is that it, it basically starts with, uh, with some questions. We are, we are, you know, question answer, answerers. And, um, and so could be, you know, we want to improve downhill performance in trail running, for example. We want to improve uh, running economy for road running, for example. And Nike did that pretty well uh, in the last years. We want to uh, improve stability in, uh, in hiking. Could be those kind of questions. And for, for any of those questions, you have a fundamental part to address Let's say I take, I want to improve stability in hiking. I need to really define what stability is and what, um, what are the key biomechanical indicators of this, um, of this, um, parameter, let's say. So this is, this starts with this very fundamental question. And so we have some testing to answer this question and say, okay, this is what stability is. And answering this question, we gather a lot of knowledge into what is the hiking movement, uh, how we can uh, measure that, how the um, body interacts with the shoe and the ground, and can can give us some ideas to transfer that into shoe concepts. And then the loop is looped, let's say, and and we can test the different concepts that we that we have imagined and uh, and see if the metrics that we identify in the first phase, are you know uh, optimized by the concept that we that we have imagined in the second phase? Bas- yeah, basically to to add something on that, um, I think that as sports scientists in Salomon, we have uh, I would say three missions. Um, the first one, as I said, said is really fundamental. Is really close at what we can do in a in a research lab in a university lab. And in this first step, in this first mission, what we want to know is basically what are, for example, the main criteria of performance in trail running, for example, of or let's say what do we have to focus on to to have better performance in uh, in trail running. So we can identify that downhill section as as are very important for performance, or we can identify that I don't know uphill. Um, um, uphill uh, speed, speed in uphill section are also important. And so the goal here is really to understand what are the performance criteria of a given activity and to really have a description of, of this. And then in the second time, our second mission, I think, if I have to explain, explain it, would be what we call here innovation. And this is mostly done by all the um, collaboration that we're going to have with the designers, with the developers, and so on. So here we will try to to go from an Excel uh, Excel file to, uh, let's say, a really product design and how to apply the knowledge to the product, basically. And then we have a third mission. I would say it's more validation of said said. And here we will try to... To, um, to quantify the benefits of, uh, of the new technology of the concept or whatever. And I would say that I think that today 80% of our time is on, is on research and exploration. Wow. If we are what we do uh, all yeah. day long, mostly. That's, that's absolutely unbelievable for a company that has to produce products, right? That you're spending 80% of your time just doing their background research and the innovative side of it, because that means very little of that actually makes it to the consumer. So, yeah. And basically what we try to do is really to understand the needs of the consumer. Yeah. And so over the past few years, we focused a lot on biomechanics, but today we also focus on physiology, on sensory preferences, and so on. So we have, we try to have a 36 degrees of uh, description of the consumer, let's say, of the of the user, of the runner, of the hiker, or whatever. 
Here's what I can appreciate about that approach is you guys are letting science kind of lead the way, right? You're looking at what dictates performance from a scientific perspective, and you're designing footwear products around that. And all too often, that first step gets missed. And we've seen this, and you guys have seen this in the footwear side of things, where all the all runners are injured. They've been injured since we started running, right? We just it's just a huge, huge, huge problem in running. Well, somebody at some point in time decided that the reason that we were all getting injured is because our shoes were too cushioned. And then they removed all the cushioning from the shoes. We saw this huge barefoot running movement kind of take over the world. Born to Run definitely facilitated that. But there was no data at the time to show that running barefoot actually decreased running injuries. And then as a reaction to the barefoot movement, the overcushion shoe movement, especially in trail running, started to take over as well and said, oh, well, we need more cushioning to prevent injury and improve performance. And I'm not knocking on Virum or Hoka. They, they've got to produce products. I totally get it. And I like Hoka shoes. I run, I run it a lot. But both of those had the same flaws in that they, they were just guessing at the answer to the problem, which was what improves performance or what prevents injury. And they produce products kind of like putting in a way that they were putting the cart before the horse, right? Before the science actually kind of came along. You guys are taking the opposite approach is where you're looking at the landscape of the science and saying, okay, this is where it actually makes sense to put cushioning, to put traction, to put stability and things like that. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, sure. And just to add something again, is that... I think that the, the paradigm that we, we, um, that we embrace today is that those criteria of performance and so the needs that are related to those criteria are highly, um, runner specific. I mean, you, you do not have the same needs that I have. And Sebastian also has different needs. And so we are all different. And so our needs and the solutions he is different as well, actually. Yeah. And I've always thought that companies that produce companies like Solomon that has to produce products, there's this fine line of following the science versus being on the leading edge of it. Because you can't ever get kind of like hot behind the trends because then, you know, four or five companies have kind of like outpaced you at, at the time. Mm-hmm. I want to know how that how that aspect of blending innovation and then keeping your products in a science-based efficacious way, how you just internally blend those two. And I know that's a really hard question to answer, but I'm sure as thoughtful as you are on the research side of things, you guys have thought about that as well. Yeah. It's actually a current topic for me, you know, on the, on the project that I work on. And the idea is to, what's the right balance between pushing some concepts and some new technologies and, and pulling some needs from the market and from the runner? And like you said, it's, it's kind of a touchy question. And, um, so how we address that is pretty, let's say, pretty empirical is that, you know, we have some ideas and, and some of the people in the, in the company have some ideas and push some of the technologies and some of the concepts. And then uh, we're trying that, seeing if it works in a way in the lab or, you know, in field testing or with uh, some, re- some research about the, uh, the literature and stuff like that, see if it makes sense and try to find the right customers. And the customers could be uh, end users, runners, or could be internally as well. Because sometimes, you know, uh, we, we, we just work on some... Uh, on some process or some, something that can, that can simplify the, 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 the life of, um, of our colleagues. And so trying to, you know, make the link between this, uh, this idea, this concept that was pushed, uh, with some ID and with the need of the end user is kind of, it's kind of the, uh, of the, of the, of the link between the, the, the R and the D basically, uh, in, in, in every R and D process, but it's kind of empirical. And, uh, and I think we don't have the, we don't have the, 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 the most precise entry yet. Yeah. It's, a, it's always a tough balance with companies and I've got around to like, you name it, Nike, Under Armour, and everybody kind of struggles with that 
with that yin and yang, that push and pull of putting mm-hmm. innovative products out there and at the same time having some sort of uh, research-based efficacy to kind of, to kind of lean on. And w- my opinion is some companies get that out of balance where they're pushing things out there too quickly. And sometimes they're right. They get the guess right that whatever technology or whatever they're kind of pushing ends up actually working when they just had really preliminary data that it would. And oftentimes they just get it wrong. And what ends up happening is they get so entrenched in the product that they've just developed that they keep pushing out nonsense that, you know, that, that, that has been proven to, uh, otherwise not have actually any sort of efficacy. So it's, it's always, I've, I always appreciate when companies can kind of strike that, uh, strike that balance. And I think you guys have a really thoughtful process, uh, with it. Um, related to that, how much stuff gets, gets put on the cutting room floor? Because if you're constantly like innovating and trying to put products out there, inevitably some of them like don't make the cut. And I know it's hard to say, well, it's exactly this percentage, but I think the listeners would appreciate how many things actually end up on the shelves of their local running store versus the things that are in U2's closet or in some other Solomon employee's closet that might get like one or two uses. Regarding exposure, I don't know in terms of products, really, but I would say in terms of exploration projects, so really uh, at a microscopic level, I would say that each year, I think that we we may stop half of the project that we start in January. I think that in December, half of them are stopped because it's not the, the right path or I don't know. I, at the exploration yeah. level, I would say that it's something like this. At least yeah, half. Is that yeah. what you said, Marlene? I just wanted to clarify that. You said at least half gets stopped by the end of the year. The half. Yeah, regarding the exploration projects, when... I don't know, but maybe uh, I would say that yeah, if I yeah over this year, but it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not really. <laughs> it's it's a tricky one because yeah. it's it's difficult and uh, and and precise numbers. I, yeah. I think we don't have them, and and we won't have the right to tell them. But uh, what's well, what we can say is that for any given uh, research project, and where we have to where we have to do prototypes, and then how many. Mm-hmm. What, what we can say is, is about how many prototypes we we have on the cutting, cutting table before any product uh, is released. And I have an example uh, for a tennis shoe that I worked on when I, when I was at the, at the beginning of my career. And uh, we did more than 150 prototypes uh, before getting the shoe to work and, well, to play because it was a tennis shoe. So it's kind of a lot and we have some, you know, there are some thoughts to, to say, okay, how can we simulate some of the prototypes at the, at the beginning of the process to try to reduce this number? Because, you know, you, you can't, you can't build 200 shoes, uh, to sell one at the end of the day. So right. that's, that's the, that's, that are basically the numbers, you know, a hundred prototype for any project is something kind of usual for a, for a restart project. And I think I think a lot of a lot of runners will find that astounding because when they get running shoes, they still will find something to bitch and moan about, right? They'll feel, they'll still find something that like, oh, I just don't like this, I don't like that, which speaks more to the individual nature of our feet and how we use shoes versus the rigorous nature that you put into actually trying to figure out what's got to work and what's not to. I mean, the fact that you're going through, I mean, even fifty right? Different prototypes to achieve one would be a really high number, but you're telling me it's a hundred or 150 to one. It's just incredible. Um, so what, what might we see coming out of Solomon in the next few years? I know you guys have a, like a long timeline to do R and D and actually kind of come out with a product. And I don't want to like spoil, you know, any, anything for you guys. Cause I know you guys like to launch it and, you know, create a big buzz around it and things like that. But if you can like generally style, some of the things that the consumers might actually see coming out of Solomon and, and out of your lab, I think it would be uh, interesting for everybody. 
I, I think you guys are searching through your uh, non-disclosure agreement memory banks right now to find out what the example, which is totally fine. <laughs> and I'm more than I'm more than happy to take any of this out afterwards if you have to consult with your legal team. So to feel free to feel free to feel free to tell me anything, and we can retract it later. Uh, I think we can talk about uh, two of our uh, you know you know innovation priorities that would be. Um, I would say that like lifestyle products, let's say, you know, there are some ranges that are on this, uh, on this era, sneaker shoe, sneaker shoe more than performance shoe. So it's, it's kind of a hot topic. Um, uh, so if, uh, if, uh, running Salomon fan, uh, like to wear shoes, you know, just to go, uh, just to go in the city and, and go outside, there are some ranges, uh, on the go. Uh, I think a second priority, and you could talk more than my than myself, is uh, is road running shoes, new new road running shoes, because we we launched some um, some road running shoe ranges a few years ago. I think it was two three years ago for the first one, and some new products are are going to come. And uh, I can comment on something on my side. I the, the innovation projects I'm involved in is about, uh, you know, having, um, having nice and accurate shoe recommendations. And so how we can take some data on the customer, on the runner and address him with the right shoe for his right usage, for his foot shape, for his biomechanics. So we're working on this kind of process. So we hope that we will come up in, I don't know, one year, one, two years from now with some nice solutions to do that, either in store or in a distant remote uh, perspective. I think that that's the next layer of footwear is somehow mm -hmm. a user being able to scan their foot with their phone or something, something that they can do in a shoe store and then have, mm -hmm. have the company of their choice make a shoe that fits their foot specifically and then they can say i want this type of traction i want this type of cushioning i want this type of, of upper i mean and shoe companies are you guys know more than i do they're really close to that you guys might be close to that just not leading on to it too much but the, i i think that that's the future you know because once again everybody wants their shoe a little bit different than when it comes off the shelf I want the toe box a little bit wider. I want the heel cup a little bit more narrow. I want the lugs a little bit longer. I want a Vibram outsole instead of something else. And if a user can actually put all of those things together in a customized way, which I don't think we're that far away from, I think that that's the next step. Yeah, and actually, you know, not, not so, it was like two, three, three years ago, we had this kind of project of customized shoe. It was called Salomon Mesh. Yes, I do remember that. It was, yeah, you know, it was the really first steps into yeah. customized shoe because uh, we basically invented a new way to build the shoes and simplified uh, and simplified greatly the process. And so it, the, the the customer was able to choose his components, and it was uh, it was easier to do that. Uh, the project was stopped because it was not mature. But uh, I, th I think you're right. It's 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 just there. It's not that far to um, to be able to do that uh, more precisely and more more customized actually. Well, I think that one one outcome of this mesh mesh project, something that I think we we have learned is that runners do not necessarily need a shoe that is customized to to themselves, but Something that we should be better at is to to be more uh, runner specific in the way we build the shoe, meaning that to have a more let's say how can I say that to 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 address needs for given functional groups and not for try to have a shoe for everybody, but to 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 be more specific to a target to a runner's group, for example, and uh, yeah. So this is something that we work on, uh, that we are working on a lot, also to to try to to address the needs of a of a small group of the population, rather than trying to address uh, to have the best shoe for everybody. Everybody, because I think that is just it's just impossible because we are too different regarding our biomechanics, our anatomy, our, our needs, our preferences, where we run, and so on. 
So I think that it's it's hard from one side, it's hard to have a, a single solution for every single runner. But it's also, uh, I think it's also uh, somehow wrong also to try to have one solution for all the runners. So we try to be more specific also at the yeah it's it's like i said i think the future of it is fascinating and if anything the covid pandemic has kind of accentuated this right because we can't we, we don't have the same type of access to go into our local running store and get fitted by somebody that's there and try on 10 pairs of shoes which a lot of people do right and then finally kind of like walk out with the one that like feels best to them and so companies like yourself and other footwear companies have tried to they've They've, they've tried different strategies to get users into the right footwear without that hands-on type of experience, which is incredibly, inordinately difficult. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that more and more brands are, are working on this. Uh, so we are working on this. And uh, yeah, other brands are also deeply working on this, like Bruce. Um So yeah, I think that's, this is one key uh, uh, key part of innovation that is not directly related to the product itself, but but that is still very very important. Because I, as I often say, there is no um, bad footwear solution. Uh, minimalism uh, can be good for some kind of people, and maximalism can be good for other kind of people. But the thing is that who should wear what basically, and who need what. And I think that the, this is uh, one of the golden questions yeah. <laughs> for the next years. That's a great one. <laughs> well, because you have, you know, millions of ends of one, right? That uh, all need yeah. s- a, like slightly different variations of cushioning, stability, traction, depending upon the situation and things like that. So that point, that point mm-hmm. is really well uh, taken, Marlene. Um I, I want to discuss uh, a particular aspect of your lab that I find fascinating is you find examples in the research literature um, that have emanated from your lab, or at least it, in part or in whole, and it seems to at least be able to be able to serve a dual purpose of where you can use your lab to internally help innovate and come up with products and do it more like internal type of documentation. This is how our footwear is going to look in two or three years. But you can also push that research out into the space where everybody gets access to it. And I want to explore the interface of that uh, uh, a little bit because it's some of the research that I actually come into contact with when I'm using it in my in my coaching practice. And one of the pieces, one of the pieces of uh, research that Marlene, you're actually the lead author on, is the title of it is is fatigue associated with prolonged graded running. That was out of the European Journal of Applied Physiology, and I think it came out in 2016. I have that correct. This one. I'm testing everybody's memory banks. Are you talking about the review? The review or no? It was original. Uh, we, we did write also a review. A literature review about the effect of graded running on, on fatigue and here so it's more about the downhill downhill running yep and yes. i've got i've got that one pulled up okay. actually well, in front of me as well my from my thesis work i would say yeah <laughs> well the the I'll link both of those in the show notes, but the the question really didn't have to anything to do with the specific research but it's more i wanted to i wanted to get your take on how you take like specific outcomes of a piece of research. Okay, we're looking at graded running and we know that the joint torques are different at the ankle and the knee and the hip in an uphill and a downhill condition and things like that. I don't want to get caught in the weeds there because that's a that's three other podcasts that we can kind of talk about. But I want to I, I want to kind of explore some like practical examples of how the outcomes of those research of, of that research actually ends up in a shoe. Like how do you take that and say, okay, this is how we're going to design a shoe. We're going to make it flexible over here, more traction over there. Like you've done the research and then you've provided the input to the people who actually produce the shoes. Like how do you actually go through and do that? Yeah. So basically regarding, uh, regarding my, my thesis work, uh, which was mainly about, um, down here running. So what we, what we, what we, what we figured out from this work is basically that there is no um, good running strike pattern to minimize muscle fatigue. 
uh, after a downhill section. And so that basically the best option was to try to switch in between different running style, running techniques in order to minimize the load that, that is put on a given muscle group, right? So this is basically the fundamental outcome of, of this, uh, this research. And then this helped us to decide basically knowing that the drop of the shoe, for example, affects the running technique. This helped us to say, okay, for our next generation of uh, trail running shoes, we should, um, we should design a, a shoe with a drop of eight millimeters in order to allow runners to strike the ground with their forefoot first, but also with their heel first. And so this is one example of how it can go from, uh, from the lab to the, to the shelf. Let me, let me follow that all the way through because this is awesome. So you produce a piece of research. This is your PhD thesis. And I'm very familiar with this because once again, we've used a lot. And the, 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 the summary version, I hate to do this with people who have actually produced the <laughs> research because it over trivializes the amount of work and effort that you have put into it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> okay. But, the, but, but, the, but the, the high... This is something that is very important also in Zaman. And I think it's worth mentioning that we have to be very... Straight to the point where we want to explain something complicated. Otherwise, we we lose everybody. <laughs> we lose designers, we lose marketing, we lose developers. So we, we need to be straight to the point. So. I can appreciate your struggle because I have to be on both sides of that. I have to understand the underlying nuance, but then I also have to produce the Twitter version. So <laughs> we're going to... Glad you're not offended by me producing the Twitter version on this. So the Twitter version of it is that you can stave off some type of muscular and or neuromuscular fatigue by switching from a heel strike to a midfoot strike to a forefoot strike during down during downhill running. You took that into the footwear side and said, okay, we were going to produce a shoe that is conducive to doing that just from the drop perspective. And that drop that you guys determined was an eight millimeter drop. So an athlete can go down a downhill and the drop isn't so big that they couldn't switch from one foot strike pattern to the other, and it's not so narrow that they were forced into another type of foot strike pattern. I take that from a coaching standpoint, and I look at that piece of research, so kudos to you because it's directly impacted the way that I prescribe and counsel people. And I say, okay, we're going to teach runners how to do this, especially in an ultramarathon situation because we have a lot of runners that are stuck and cannot move out of a certain foot strike pattern. So if I have a runner that is training for an ultra marathon, that for some reason I feel that it's advantageous for them to delay some sort of muscular and neuromuscular fatigue because of the cumulative downhills, part of the training prescription becomes, okay, let's learn how to heel strike, how to forefoot strike, how to midfoot strike based on the situation and potentially that can prevent fatigue. So it's like full circle, right? I mean, you get products out of it, I get coaching out of it, it's brilliant. I feel that something regarding this specific topic, something also that is uh, somehow uh, related to this, and I think it's a study that I love. I don't know if you if you know the study. It's a study that have been done by um, uh, a university lab in Luxembourg. It's uh, Malisou, the author, and basically what they observe is pretty pretty close at what we observe from a fatigue perspective. They basically observe. That if you want over, it was a study over, I think, uh, three years on. No, 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 it was just 22 weeks, I think, if I well remember. Pretty precise, right? <laughs> 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 so it was, a, it was a prospective study over, I think, 20 weeks or something like this. And what they observed is super interesting is that people that were less injured were those either who use very different type of footwear. So traditional minimalist, uh, maximalist footwear, and so on, or who try also to to practice very different kind of activities. And what this tells us basically, and I think it's somehow related to what we observed also in downhill, is that by either switching your footwear or your practice, you you avoid um, overloading certain joints and certain muscle groups and so on. So it's a very interesting uh, solution to try to um, avoid overloading uh, your your body, basically. And I think that's what is very interesting in trade and what is important in trade is to to try to, to, to use this kind of, uh, uh, let's say, um, plasticity, variability in your running strike in order to avoid 
overloading a given joint or a given muscle group and so on. So, um, so I think that switching switching the, the stimuli is very interesting to reduce fatigue, but also to reduce maybe the risk of injuries uh, over a long term. Yeah, so, this aspect <laughs> this aspect of like changing things up, whether it's a foot strike yeah. or whatever, has become really fascinating in trail and ultra running. Our mutual colleague, you guys will find this hilarious. This is the second time in two days that I've recorded a podcast where I've mentioned this this person. I don't know the order that this is going to come out, but it's just funny. So our mutual colleague uh, Jackson Brill, who was an intern uh, for us about a year ago, uh, he is fascinated with the uphill run to walk transition. And one of the things that we consistently go back and forth forth about is, yeah, we can always measure the metabolic cost and what's more, uh, what's more economical to do, what form of locomotion is more economical to do at what speed and what grade, but it's harder to account for the localized fatigue that's going on mm-hmm. at the muscular level and the neuromuscular level to determine what you know, what you should be doing at any kind of one point in time. And this aspect of changing your foot strike, either to prevent injury or to delay fatigue has similar, has a similar vibe to it, right? Where it's not just an economy thing, because we know when runners switch foot strikes, initially their economy is worse. They're used to being a heel striker. They switch to a forefoot striker, at least initially the economy's worth, but worse, but that doesn't tell the whole story nor does that tell you what direction you should be counseling the athlete on from a performance or an injury prevention uh, type of standpoint. So it's interesting to see those themes kind of getting woven throughout everything, especially in trail running, because it's just everything, right? Running, walking, uphill, downhill, flats, technical, fast, slow, poles, which is a completely different thing. It's like a little bit of everything. Trail running is a very nice way and easy way to develop this plasticity because you do that without thinking about it. I mean, you have to change your running strike most of the time because the surface is changing, because uh, the, the slope is changing or whatever. So it's a very easy and interesting way to develop this plasticity, this biomechanical plasticity. I think it's, uh, yeah. 100%. So I asked you guys <laughs> earlier about what potentially could come out. And I understand that you guys got to keep a lid on certain things totally get that. But I'm going to ask you another question where you can let your imagination just completely run wild. What do you want to come out? Like if you could have an unlimited budget and wave your magic wand and just do anything, you can have any toys, you can have any type of research. You want to try to find like any answer what would what would you actually want to apply those resources to? Um, I can start. Yeah, sure. So I don't think I don't think that there is a perfect shoe. I'm convinced that we can do all the, the innovation that we want. There is no perfect shoe, but I think that if I would have a magic stick to do that, I would spend it to um, to put the right person in the right shoe. And in just like one one click on your web, on the website or whatever, you can say, okay, I need this shoe, and I will be less injured or more performant, or I will I would be more comfortable with this shoe. And in just one click, you have the answer. Because I think that most of the people, I think that they are totally lost in a shoe shelf. And uh, yeah, I would spend all my energy to say, you have to choose this shoe. I would buy that. And I love your phrase of they're stuck in their shoe shelf. I've never heard that before, but that's so relatable, Marlene. I love that. <laughs> All right, Sebastian, you get, you get, you got, you have to follow that up now. Yeah. You know, I, I heard a few, a few time ago about the technology that is called, I guess it's called ProtoCell. And it's something, you know, it's, it's kind of a biological uh, fabric that is 3D printed. And it has the capacity to basically adapt actively to any constraint or any stress that you apply to it. And if I had, um, well, it's not, a, it's not, maybe it's not a magic one because the technology is existing. But uh, if I had a lot of money, I would invest on this technology and say how we can may, make a shoe based on this technology, so that so that the shoe you, you only you only have one, right? You put this at your feet, and then whatever you do, wherever you do, 
uh, it adapts to the situation. You know, uh, if you start running, it's going to start increasing in stack and giving giving you the right amount of, of cushioning. If you start running uphill, it's going to you know um, lose some weight and help you to be more efficient in the in the uphill situation. If you slow down and you start walking, it's going to adapt as well. Then you just go back and you go to the city and you start walking on the on the asphalt. It, it can adapt as well. So it's kind yeah, of doping. It's it's like doping. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little doping, uh, but it could be it could be that it does not enhance your performance, but just adapts to the situation. You know, you 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 you're you're walking, uh, you're running in the mud. There are some lugs that are appearing right. in, uh, on uh, what what we could call the outsole because I don't know if we could uh, if we would name this, the the spare parts the same uh, the same way. But if I had some uh, some uh, high budget to allocate to something, I would say let's go into that. Well, it's almost an extension. I'm going to use an analogy from another sport. It's it's like a more robust version of a dropper post in mountain biking. So for those of the, those of the listeners that aren't familiar, a dropper post in mountain biking just allows you to lower your seat automatically with the flick of a switch at your handlebars. So if you're climbing and you need to sit on the seat, you've got it in the up position. But then if you hit some gnarly piece of downhill and you want the seat kind of out of the way for better maneuverability, you can hit this thing and it'll actually kind of drop down. You're talking about that on the shoe version from a lot of different levels and thinking like the, even, even down to the tightness of the laces, right? Which BOA kind of has that, but it's a manual process right now. I mean, where you can switch that from a really technical tight situation to more loose, if that's what the situation dictates, I'd buy both of those concepts just for the record. So I would encourage you to find the budget to to do that. You'd have at least one consumer in me for both of those. (laughs) If you have a few bucks, please feel free. <laughs> I don't know if I can come up with the funding. That's not, that's my limiting factor. Um, all right, you guys, I really appreciate the time that you spent with me today. This was extremely fun, entertaining. Um, where can the listeners find out a little bit more about either you two as individuals or like what you guys do for Solomon? Uh, so for my part... Um, well, so I have a I have a, um, a scientific background into biomechanics. Uh, I, uh, I I graduated from my master degree. It was eight years ago, and uh, and my PhD was defended. I defended my PhD in twenty sixteen, uh, but I started working for Salomon in twenty twelve. Uh, so meaning that my PhD project was. In the in the same time as my first years uh, as uh, as a Salomon, uh, you know, biomechanist, and um, and so my main missions and my job evolved from testing products basically in the lab and uh, mostly on this validation part that we talked earlier. You know, taking concept and saying, okay, is it working or not? Two more. Uh, Managing some scientific projects into different areas. Uh, I worked on the on the ultra trade shoe. I work on this. Uh, I work on this customized project. And uh, right now, I work on this innovation project about uh, recommending some shoes, like we said before. And um, and yeah, that's basically it. It's more. It, it's a more global uh, position. You know, I'm. I'm I'm not working uh, 100% of my time in the lab. I'm more on the on the on the uh, project managing uh, part, let's say, on this innovation project. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for my part. Marlene, same as said, almost. Also, <laughs> 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 no, I yeah I uh, I arrived uh, I arrived in Salomon. I, th- I think one month after said. Also, yeah, something like this. So uh, he's my brother, let's say, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. So I did a PhD in biomechanics and neurosciences, uh, and the application of this is mainly on uh, in trail running, as I said during the the podcast. And uh, yeah, same as Seb. At the beginning, I was really um, involved in um, in product development and also in the research part of this product development. And especially on um, <clears throat> on in trail running and in uh, in road running, 
And today, my main uh, my main focus is to try to better understand the users, and this um, through a very sports sciences approach. So using biomechanics, using physiology, and so on, but also using um, sensory analysis and uh, behavior sciences, this kind of stuff, in order to really understand to have a very um, complete description of the users and not just his biomechanics, his physiology, but also to understand all uh, his or her environment, basically, and all um, um, his person and who he is, really, and not just biomechanics. So to have a very exhaustive description of the, of the users, of the runners, and uh, yeah, this is uh, my ma my main uh, mission today. So it's still a lot of and more and more research again. Uh, I'm um, I'm getting away from the validation part. So yeah, my main uh, my main focus is really on uh, to better understand uh, who is our users in order to to address his or her specific needs and using very different kind of methodologies like biomechanics, physiology, uh, sensory analysis, and so on. Well, I appreciate what both of you guys do. As I mentioned in the earlier part of the podcast, um, I think you guys do it right where you let the science lead and you put a lot of thought and uh, careful attention to detail into the products that, uh, that, you, uh, that you produce. So it's appreciated by me as a coach, and I know that your athletes appreciate it as well. Um, I'm going to have to visit you guys' lab the next time I drive uh, from Geneva to uh, Chamonix for UTMP. Because every time every time I go up that highway and I see the Annecy turnoff, I'm like, God, I got to go to the Solomon lab just to like go and check it out. So if you guys will indulge me, I'd be very much appreciative of it. You're welcome. More than welcome. You are more than welcome. Yeah, thank you for that. And there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Sebastian and Marlene over at Solomon for their time today. That was a really intriguing conversation. I'm always curious to know how research done in the laboratory and out in the field actually ends up on our feet and on our persons. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. If you did, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a rating or a review that helps the podcast out tremendously and also means a lot to me personally. All right, that's it for today, you guys. As always, we will see you out on the trails.